morning. Just give me a second here. I'm going to get back to Dan in a minute. I'm going to have kind of a couple of different small transitions as we go this morning. I just wanted to start, you know, um, we're Christians and everything that we do is to be about relationship and we come here every Sunday to celebrate as we should and yet uh, our hearts go out to Robbie and to Darla, our uh, brothers our brother and sister in Christ, when one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. And uh, <clears throat> so we lost part of our family this week. We lost an American Marine who went to battle for us, for our country and in some ways never quite made it all the way back home. We also lost a brother in Christ, in Christian, and for that we're very thankful. So Robbie and Darla, we mourn with you. The loss of Christian here, and yet we rejoice with you that uh, he finally made it home. So, just uh, kind of wanted to lift that up, but why don't we just pray a second? Lord, we thank you that, that you are God, that you are sovereign, that somehow, even in the things that we can't possibly understand, that that truth doesn't change. Lord, that you are there, that you will always be there, that you loved us enough to send your son Jesus to die for our sins. And Lord, as Christians, we don't mourn as those who have no hope. And at the same time, when uh, walking through things like this, we, we do miss the physical presence of our loved ones here, and yet even that is temporary. So we just thank you, God, that your word is truth, and that's what we hold on to today, and we pray for Robbie and Darla just to continue to hold on to you uh, with every fiber that is within them, and Lord, that, uh, that we would be there for them as their church family. In Jesus' name. So, I do want to uh, just, I do want to say thank you before I start. Um, you know, as, as local missionaries here on Long Island with uh, Long Island Youth Mentoring, we just thank you so much for your ministry partnership, for the, your financial support, for your prayer support. And it is just so true that the longer we're out there um, in the mission field, as it were, that we realize how much we need the support of brothers and sisters in Christ like you. And so we're really thankful for that. And um, so uh, I do want to just give you a quick update, too. Uh, you know, most of you probably know, but I don't know, maybe you don't know. Um, my name is Larry Robb. Uh, our family goes here. Um, 
one of the interesting things about today is usually when uh, like someone in your family speaks, like all your family's here, and maybe even some more come, but it seems to be the opposite in our family. I'm speaking today, and none of them are here, you know. <laughs> but it's mainly because, um, mainly because uh, the, we had two uh, more grandbabies this week. So um, on Monday, Holly and Austin, well, Holly gave birth, but Holly and Austin and their family welcomed Rose Caroline Hines into their family. And then on Thursday... Um, Candace and Corey welcomed uh, Faye, Iona, Jay, Joy. I can't read my own writing. Faye, Iona, Joy, Bailey into their family. So, um, you know, we had told them very specifically when they were allowed to give birth and when they weren't. And as is the pattern, they just don't listen to me anymore. Holly was supposed to go two weeks ago. Candace was supposed to go a week from now. And Holly went late and Candace went early. And it was just against everything we told them, but... That's just the way it goes. Anyway, so, so we praise God for them. We praise God for those grandchildren. And uh, we do have one more coming, at least at this point in July. So um, that will, that'll be seven at that point. Praise God. It's been a busy week. been a good week. Um, so what I'd like to do first is just kind of talk to you a little bit about youth mentoring. You know, most of you know what we do. Some of the things I'll say today uh, throughout, you, maybe you've heard me say before, I, I don't know, I, I, I wind up going to so many different churches, I don't always remember what I said where and to who and things like that. So um, if I do say something you heard already, don't, don't go, I heard that, it just, I don't even want to know, <laughs> okay? But anyway, um, one of the things I just first want you to consider is this, is because of what the ministry is, the Lord has, has called us to, is God calling you to mentoring? Is God calling you to mentoring? The mission of Long Island Youth Mentoring is, is joining with the local Christian church, partnering with the church here on Long Island in what we would call the responsible evangelism of troubled young people and their families. In it. And it's kids that live right in our own backyards. You know, kids all over Long Island that need someone to come alongside of them, to walk with them as life happens, to be a friend, to be a mentor. And in case you don't remember, it's accomplished by, it's, it's, you know, a lot of times people think it's accomplished by me, but that's not the case. I'm only matched to one young, well, he's a young man now. We've matched for over 15 years, but I'm only matched to one kid, you know. It's the church on Long Island that, you know, God calls to this mentoring uh, mission field. And so it's Christians 21 years and older who feel the call of God on their lives to be matched to and then meet with an 8 to 13 year old child for two to four hours per week for an initial commitment of one year. And the, the men with the boys, the women with the girls, and what you do is, is you, you pick them up at home, you spend two to four hours with them outside of that home setting, and what you do in that time is dependent on what your likes and interests are as well as theirs. And it could just be anything. You know, I mean, we have mentors that have taught their mentees how to change oil in the car, how to bake, arts and crafts, hiking, you know, you know whatever it is, and, but just being there for them. And, uh, you know, the hope is always that as you build that friendship and create memories through spending time together, that this one young person would come to know the Lord through his and his saving grace through your relationship. With him or her. Mike read First uh, Thessalonians 2.8. I love that scripture. It's one of the ones where it says, you know, we share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives as well. You know, so spending time with someone, being about relationship is just such a wonderful way to share the gospel. 
And this ministry, sometimes a good news, bad news situation, if you will. We, we have about 250 matches, you know, give or take. It, you know, fluctuates like month to month. But we also have 181 kids on a waiting list, 181. It's 57 girls and 124 boys. And within just a five-mile radius of this church, there's three girls and 13 boys that are waiting for a friend like you to come alongside of them. That's basically, in short, we call the one-to-one ministry. We have a bridges ministry, which is very much the same as the one-to-one in terms of what the uh, mentors and the mentees do, except that it's uh, mentoring a child that's living in a group home for one reason or other, and then taking them out of that group home setting and spending time with them in much the same way. The homework club, which is a reading program at our ministry center in Brentwood on Monday afternoons, um, it's being matched to uh, usually around a first through fourth grader who is one or more years behind in their reading ability. And again, just a wonderful um, opportunity uh, to, to get involved in a one-to-one mentoring ministry that, that speaks the gospel to these children through relationship. We have a number of people here that are uh, involved in the homework club. And, uh, you know, what Dan said in that video, some of the things um, that you heard him say, those, those are the words of a man who was matched at this point probably over 24 years ago over 24 years ago, and who saw the difference that just one person could have in another person's life. So much so that, that he is the first mentee that ever became a youth mentoring mentor as well. He was matched, um, you know, later on, uh, obviously, and, and uh, you know, he was matched with two different kids over time, and he was a tremendous mentor. But can you see how spending time with someone, walking alongside of them as life happens, can make such a huge difference in their lives and possibly for all eternity. So again, I'm just asking you, is God calling you to do that to, this morning, to mentor just one child, to mentor just one child? And, and if he is, or you think he might be, I'm just asking you, to, there's a, you have a bulletin insert in there, a blue uh, little pamphlet, and just fill it out and hand it back to me or ask me whatever questions you may have. I mean, you know, a lot of Sundays I'm not here because I'm in other churches, but please, you know, you can call me, you could ask me questions, I'll stay here as long as anybody might have any questions regarding that. But um, just please know too that um, by filling that out, you're not saying I'm definitely going to do this, you just, you want to explore the possibility and, and we'll walk with you through that process. And then every mentor is assigned a full-time uh, youth mentoring staff person to, to be with them in their ministry, you know, we don't just throw you out there. And, you know, just an interesting thing, too, I, this occurred to me like, like a month ago or so. You know, every Sunday morning, people flock to places like this, right, to churches like this to, to worship the Lord. And that's a wonderful thing. It really is all over this island. But that is not the ministry of Long Island Youth Mentoring. You know the story of the 99 and the 1, right? Well, you know where the shepherd goes after the one lost sheep. Well, th- there was this kid, his name is Tariq. And I don't know if I told you this story before, but if I did, I'm telling it again. In any case, he, um, he lived in over 40 places in the time that he was with Youth Mentoring, over 40 places. Now, it's not like it was 20, and I'm telling you 40. It's over 40 places. And sometimes it wasn't so easy to find him again, but we always did. And every time we found him, uh, this one time, it took about three or four weeks, and we found him, and, and the mentor went to where he was now living and as he pulled up, and he wasn't even sure he's in the right place this time, you know, but as he gets out of his car, Tariq runs out of that little house, and he bounds down the step, and he runs to the car, and he says, I knew you would find me. I knew you would find me. And that's what youth mentoring does. We go after the one. We go after the one. So 
Um, anyway, again, I just ask you, is, is God calling you to mentoring? And, uh, you know, I'm going to kind of transition again here. I said at least two or three times during that portion, is God calling you to mentoring? Now, what I want to look at here is, is God calling you to anything? And maybe more importantly, are you willing to answer that call? So why don't we just pray and then we'll get going. Lord, I thank you, God, again. Lord, thank you that we could be here to worship you. Thank you, God, that we can worship you in song, that we can worship you in giving, that we can worship you even in the preaching of the word. And Father, I just pray that as we hopefully hear from you this morning, Lord, that we would glean both collectively and individually what you would say to us this morning. We just ask your blessing on this time in Jesus' name, amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at three people in the Bible, all, I think, probably pretty familiar, okay? But let me just start with this, Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And we can all amen on that one, right? And I would suppose that most of us are familiar with what we read in the book of James regarding you know, our works being evidence of our salvation. My question then as we look at the call that God puts on our lives as, as Christian believers is are we, feeling, are we willing to follow the Lord wherever it is that he calls us and in whatever it is that he calls us to do? And I think if we ask one another that question, our knee-jerk response to that usually is probably yes. But I say, well, really, you know, is that really our honest answer? What if what God's calling us to do involves some sort of suffering or hardship? Or what if God's calling us to leave our a comfortable lifestyle and uh, make sacrifices to follow his call, which very often it, that can be true as well? So are we quick to say yes to that question, but then do we still kind of want an easy living gospel where we encounter no opposition? And is there really such a thing as an easy living gospel? Is there really such a thing as that? So the first person I want to look at is Moses, and we all love Moses, you know, one of the giants of, of the scripture, one of the giants of our faith. And uh, just look at how Moses was called and then how willingly he went and followed the Lord, right? No. The, the answer to that is no. Not at the beginning. He did not. So what I want to just do here is kind of bring you through um, a little bit of Exodus. It might be easier if you just kind of listen instead of try to follow along because I'm not going to read every single um, word in every single scripture. We're going to just pick it up where God has appeared to Moses in the burning bush. And Moses looks at the burning bush, and behold, it's, it's not burning up. Okay, so in chapter 3, it says, When the Lord saw that Moses had turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Here I am. Then God said, Do not come here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He also said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, and to the land of all the different ites. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me furthermore, 
I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Right? So God sees. He knows what's going on. He's aware of it. And then comes that word, therefore, again. Okay, therefore. So because of that, this is the direction we're going. He says to Moses, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Okay, so at the beginning of chapter 1, we see that, that Moses is a shepherd. He's pasturing the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. And now God is calling him to something bigger where he's still going to be a shepherd, but instead of shepherding sheep, uh, he's going to be shepherding God's people. So his profession wasn't going to change. He's still going to be a shepherd, but um, now in a much different way. So we're going to look a little bit at how the exchange between God and Moses went. Um, Well, how it continued to go as I pick it up in verse 11. But, but, there's always a but. God calls but. But, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And God said, certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Then Moses said to God, behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So now Moses is asking, you know, what, what am I going to say to them? Who am I going to tell them sent me? And all these different sorts of things. And God gives him the answers. He even gives him the words that he is to say. And so you would think at this point that it would be done. You know, I mean, God is very clear Moses being a man, probably a concrete thinker, you know. Moses, I'm calling you to do this. This is what I, where I want you to go. This is what I want you to do. And you'd think it'd be like, okay, cool. I, I get that. But no, he still doesn't do that. I'm going to jump to chapter 4. After God continues to explain to Moses a whole bunch of different things, in chapter 4 it says, Then Moses said, What if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, The Lord has not appeared to you. The Lord said to him, and I want you to hold on to this question for later too. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And Moses said, a staff. Then God said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. But the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by its tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So now, even through chapter 4, the Lord just continues to give Moses very detailed instruction and words as far as what he is to do and say. And yet still, if we go to verse 10 of chapter 4, it says, Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither neither recently nor in time past. So in other words, not before you called me. And since you've called me, I'm still not, still slow of speech. You have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. And right after that is where Moses actually says to God, and I love the NIV version best with this one, where he says, O Lord, Please send someone else. 
Oh, Lord, please send someone else. Have you ever said that to God? God's asking you to do this, and you're saying, Lord, please send someone else. I admit that I have. I've done that. I probably still do that. But, you know, so God calls, Moses answers. So often, that's the pattern we see. God calls, Moses answers. God expounds upon the call, promises he he will be with Moses every single step of the way. And Moses is constantly thinking what he can't do in his own strength. What he can't do in his own strength. Completely missing out on the fact that if God calls him to it, any of us, and we're obedient to answer that call, that God will be faithful to walk with us every step of the way. Regardless of how hard we might think it is. Ministry is not about us. Right? Ministry is not about us. Does that mean it will be easy? No, of course not. But is God faithful? Do we not believe that He is? We say so with our lips, but our actions don't always back that up. Our actions don't always back that up. I wanted to read to you, uh, well, you know what? That's not going to happen. Because it's not up here. Anyway, well, you know what? Let me just tell you just a different example of that as far as our actions not backing us up. One young man who lives in one of the group homes that we work in, um, he claims to be a Christian, but his actions are like really, really far away from what sometimes his lips say. So I asked him, uh, uh, we were talking about that one day, and he says, you know, he says, what I'm going to do is uh, I'm I'm just going to tell everybody here what they need to do in order to follow Jesus. And I'm thinking to myself, what a terrible witness this is going to be. So I said to him, I said, I was like, do they know you? And he's like, yeah, they know me. I said, do they see the things that you've been doing? And he says, yeah, they they see what I've been doing. So I was kind of blunt with him. And I said, maybe you should just keep your mouth closed for a little while. And then if you're really starting to walk with Jesus, they'll see that. And your actions will speak much louder than your words ever could. And maybe someone will actually listen to you. So my point to him was that you say a lot of things but do you even really believe them yourself? Because when I listen to your words and then I watch your actions, they're saying two totally different things. So I say that to say, what about us? Do we truly surrender? Do we just give our faith lip service? Or do we live it out where the rubber meets the road? And what is our witness to others, to the world around us, to other brothers and sisters in Christ even? I want to look at the call of God on another person's life in the Bible, and that's Jonah. I love the book of Jonah. In, in my Bible, it's only two pages long. It's this page and this page. It's only four chapters, four, four very short chapters, but I find it so very convicting. In the first verse, God says to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Again, that's pretty clear, right? Go here. This is what I want you to do. Go. So Jonah hears God. And to paraphrase his answer and his actions, he's basically like, okay, you want me to go to Nineveh, right? Yes, go to Nineveh. Which way is Nineveh? East? Okay, bye. And he like takes off 2,500 miles in the other direction. And he heads to Tarshish. So God's saying, you go here. And, and, and Jonah's saying, you know what? I got a better idea. I'm going this way. And he takes off in, in the west. Now, I don't know if you guys can relate to Jonah, and I want to ask you to raise your hands, but, but I can. I can definitely relate to Jonah. I thought Moses was a whiner. But when you look at Jonah, his whole attitude was, oh, Lord, you're not really going to save them, are you? 
I mean, think about that. And when they did turn from their evil ways, Jonah's not even happy with that. He's like, see, I knew you were going to do that. I knew you were going to do that, and that's why I didn't want to go. I mean, think about what is going on here. What an example of, of like the flesh getting in the way of what God wants done. And, and not just in Jonah's life, but regarding others, regarding the people that he called Jonah to go to. Do we want people to come to a saving knowledge of the Lord, to have a chance to hear the gospel and to repent of their sins, to be saved because of who God is and what he's done? And are we willing to be that humble messenger that he might actually use to bring some of that about? I love what Paul says in uh, Romans 10.1. He says, brothers, my heart's desire and my prayer to God is for their salvation. Is that how we feel about the lost? We all should, we know that, but is that truly how we feel? And if we do feel that way, do we act on it? We, we did a book in uh, our devotions at Long Island Youth Mentoring, it's called Abide in Christ. And um, during one of the sections that we were reading, I read this. It says, Abiding in Christ, let us work. Let us work not like those who are content if they now follow the fashion and take some share in religious work, No, let us work as those who are growing more like Christ because they are abiding in Him and who, like Him, count the work of winning souls to the Father, the very joy and glory of heaven begun on earth. That is so powerful and so true. Is that where our hearts are? Or do we identify more with Jonah? God says, go this way, and we go that way. God says, up, we say, down. You know, whatever it is. I mean, this is what Jonah did. And then I just want to look at Ananias. And I know Pastor Mark's been uh, preaching through Acts, you know, but this is obviously not an expositional uh, sermon anyway. It's kind of more looking at the lives of some of these people and the call God put on their lives. Um, And uh, it wasn't Keith. Uh, Jason read, it was going to be Keith. Jason read uh, that scripture from Acts before where God calls Ananias And Ananias answers God in in a very similar, almost exact same way that Moses did. He says, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. And the Lord then clearly lays out his plan, and Ananias responds to it. But what was God's plan? God's plan was for Ananias to go to Saul and to minister to Saul. But everybody knows what's going on and what Saul's doing. He's persecuting Christians. He's killing Christians. And so now he's asking Ananias to go do this. And, and you've you got to think that Ananias' response here is basically like, again, to paraphrase, you have got to be kidding me. So are you serious? You want me to go, and I've said this kind of thing before, you want me to go where to say what to who? And Ananias saying, no way. I can't do that. But eventually he was obedient to the difficult task that God called him to despite his fear. And an interesting thing here, like Ananias was not asked to go change the world. Right? Ananias wasn't asked to be like Billy Graham and preach to 50,000 people at a time. God asked him to go to one person. To just one person So he wasn't asking to change the world, but in essence, he was kind of asking them to go change the world in that one person's life. 
Imagine if the only thing that you ever did for God was to be obedient and go to talk to that one person as Ananias did. Right? Or perhaps even just to mentor one child. Why do we so often run away from the call? I think at least in part is because sometimes we are so wrongly confident in what we consider to be our own gifts and abilities, things that we can do on our own, that when God does call us to do something difficult, we say, man, I can't do this. I cannot do this. Because we're kind of worshiping our own will instead of trying to follow what God's will is. And we know, we know as Christians that that we can't do anything in our own strength. But sometimes, and it's a lot easier to tell other people that, but sometimes, you know, when we're looking in the mirror talking to ourselves, we don't always hear as clearly as we do as if we're telling it to somebody else that we can't do it in our own strength, but that we trust the Lord, that He will be there for us. And there's two words that I kind of wanted to insert here, especially for those of us at times who think that I can't do that, whatever that is. You know, often in Scripture you see, but God. But God. There are many places where, where when we're reading, and I know for myself, when I'm reading about myself in the Scriptures, whether it's about my sin or my fears or just my humanness, whatever it is, you know, but God. In 1 Corinthians one uh, twenty six and 27, just one of the many places we see it, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. I don't know about you, but but I do fit into that. Some of you may know a little bit of, of our testimony, and I just want to tell you a small part of it, which is about us being called to ministry. We're with Youth Mentoring now. This is our 18th year. We're about to start our 19th year in, in like a month, like two months or whatever it is. And before that, um, I owned a business. I had a construction business. I mean, I love what I did. I loved the guys that worked for me. It was, it was wonderful. It really was. I loved what I did. And um, the real short story is I fought what we believed was a strong call to ministry for about five years. And you know, finally, I just said, okay, I can't fight this anymore. So uh, my business partner, who was also my, uh, one of my brother-in-laws, his name is Joe. I went to tell him one day. I said, Joe, we got to meet for lunch. And so uh, I went and I told him, I, I said, I, I, can't, I can't stay here anymore. I, as much as I love it, I love you. I just, I have to leave. And he's like, where are you going? I said, I don't know where I'm going. I said, but we really believe God's calling us to ministry. So he didn't fully understand it, but he said, okay. And um, so I told him I was going to leave. And then, I, and then like five days later or so, I met with a friend of mine who was instrumental in me coming to know the Lord, and he talked me out of it. And I was so relieved. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, good, I don't have to do this thing, you know. And so he talked me out of it. He really did. That was in November. So fast forward, like whatever it was, I don't know, four weeks, five weeks, something like this. We're into December, a couple of weeks before Christmas. And I'm talking to um, my wife, Gina, and um, we're, we only had four kids at the time, and, and uh, we're, um, we're kind of like just morning talk, you know, having a cup of coffee. We weren't talking about much of anything, really. And certainly we weren't talking about that. And Gina just looks at me, and she says, uh, in the middle of probably some other sentence I was saying, she said, you know, you're lying to yourself, right? And you're lying to the Lord, too. And what I really wanted to do at that time is say, what are you talking about just to buy time? 
but I knew exactly what she was talking about. She was talking about me staying in my business instead of following the Lord. So um, because my wife is almost always right, when it, especially when it comes to me, I just said, you're right. I said, you're right. And I went and I told Joe, and, and by February I was gone. I was, I was out of my business and still had nowhere to go at that time. But I was just like Moses, maybe even more like Jonah. Sometimes I, I really don't know. <laughs> But I finally did respond in obedience and follow the call and the passion that the Lord had put on my heart to begin with. I was just so stubborn, so scared, and so untrusting about it. So I say, how about you? What is your passion? Or maybe better yet, what is your ambition as a believer? In 2 Corinthians 5.9, we read what the believer's ambition ought to be. It says, therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. The believer's ambition is to be pleasing to the Lord. We are to follow Him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And we are to love others in His name. Right? Isn't that what we're called to do? To know Him and to make Him known? So often people have asked me over the years, why do you guys, in other words, um, why does your family do what we do? And the full, the full answer is actually very long, but the, but the first and most important part of that answer is because that's what the Lord called us to. That's why. But as I told you before, like so many others before me, I, I resisted. Jonah went the other way. I went the other way. I was glad to go the other way. But in the time that we've been serving the Lord here, God has not missed the beat and has shown Himself faithful in every single way. And just to give you one example, because people often, understandably on Long Island, people worry about the financial end of things. And um, so I went from at that time signing my own paycheck to depending on the giving of others in order to put food on our table. So we are so thankful for what the Lord has done. So I, I just want to go back to two, because um, I, I guess i got to land this plane. You know, I brought my, clock, my, my phone up here so that I'd know how far into it I am, except it's on like a dial stopwatch, so I have no idea how far into this I am right now, but we've got to start wrapping up. Um, so, uh, two questions. First one, in, in Exodus 4.2, um, where God said to Moses, what is that in your hand? And Moses simply said, a staff. It's a staff. And I think Moses must have been like at that moment, you're God, you should know that. It's a piece of wood. That's all I have in my hand is a piece of wood. And then God has Moses throw that piece of wood on the ground, and he shows Moses just an infinitesimal portion of his power in that moment, doesn't he? He turns it into a serpent, tells him to grab it by the tail, turns it back into a staff, a piece of wood. And now, finally, Moses is done with his whining and complaining, and he's going to go. And I love this in Exodus 4.17. I'll read one of the verse after that. He says, you So God said to Moses, You shall take in your hand this staff with which you shall perform the signs. So Moses took his wife and his sons and mounted them on a donkey, donkey excuse me, and returned to the land of Egypt, Moses also took the staff of God in his hand. He took the staff of God in his hand. He finally realized that the, the God who called him, the one who made him, the one who knew him best and loved him most, who will never leave him nor forsake him, and promised to be with him every step of the way, would not send him out ill-equipped. He took the staff of God in his hand and he went. So I ask you, what is in your hand? The first time I met with my mentee, Jeffrey, 
I had a football in my hand. It was over 15 years ago. He was nine. And I had a football in my hand. And we went to the uh, school near where he was living. No one had ever shown him how to throw a football before. And that was the beginning of a 15-year relationship that continues today. Other mentors have had a wrench or woodworking tools in their hand, and they showed their mentee a craft or a trade. Some have had a spatula or a crochet hook or a book that interests both of them. It's never too little. Some of us say at times, like Moses did, but Lord, all I have is this. All I have is this. And you know what I think the Lord says? Bring it to me. I can use it. I can use you. And we say, but Lord, all I have is whatever. And the Lord says, bring it to me. I can use it. I can use you. We had one mentor who, she had a pen in her hand to match the pen in her mentee's hand because that mentee who was, this was an extreme situation, but she was a hurting young lady and she communicated better through the written word and they would write back and forth. So she writes once, I'm going to throw it all away. I just can't continue to live in this world. And the mentor says, I know this world is screwed up, but it's really, and it's really hard to get by. Please tell me what I can do to make you want to try. And they went on in this vein because this was how she could help to share her pain. And that's how they communicated sometimes when it was very, very difficult. I had a friend who came up to me a few years ago after I presented youth mentoring at his church yet again, and he said, Larry, I am Moses. He said, I've been running from mentoring for years. He says, I have nothing to offer. I said, Tom, whatever you have in your hand, whatever you have in your hand, the Lord says, bring it to me. I can use it. I can use you. Which leads to my next question from earlier. Is God calling you to mentoring? I could tell you stories all day to get an emotional response out of you, but I'm really not looking to do that. I just want you to consider if this is the ministry that God's calling you to, then I'm just asking you to respond to that call. And, you know, you might have to ask other people that know you really well what they think your ministry might be. Like, if it wasn't for my wife, I don't know if I'd be standing here to tell you the truth. You know, because she knew and she saw and she said, you know God's calling you to this and you got to go. But if it's not mentoring, and I'm fine with that, then what is God calling you to do? What ministry is God calling you to do? And I just want to, you know, as we're closing here, I just want to look back at some of the people we looked at. You look at Moses, right? And we know, what did he do? He led God's people out of slavery. He led them out of Egypt, out of bondage, and he led them to the promised land. I mean, I know he didn't enter, but right, he brought them right there, and then Joshua, right? Jonah, the people do repent, and they get saved. Ananias, Saul gets saved, becomes Paul, and is probably the greatest missionary who ever lived. The woman Sharon with the pen, she taught her mentee how to trust, how to love, how to allow herself to be loved, no matter how rotten she felt that she was. And the guy, Tom, who said, I am Moses, I think the greatest thing that his mentee learned is that there are men, that there are godly men that can still be trusted. So whatever and wherever the Lord is calling you to, 
please don't focus on who you are and what you cannot do. Because God is calling each of us probably to something different. And what we need to focus on is who He is and what He can do in us and through us. What is that in your hand? The Lord says, bring it to me. I can use it. I can use you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you, God, uh, for this time. I thank you, Lord, for all the ministries that exist in, in this church, outside of this church, with youth mentoring, whatever it is. And Lord, I just pray that each of us individually, as believers, as your children, would seek your face on this and say, if we don't know where we're supposed to be already, Lord, what do you have for me? How do you want me to make a difference in this world? And it could be just through one person at a time. Or it could be something else. But Lord, I just pray that we would diligently seek you in this matter because we are to be about relationship. We are to know you and to love you and then we are to love our neighbors. And are we truly loving our neighbors if we're not telling them the truth of the gospel? And there's so many ways in which to do that. Thank you, God, again for this time and thank you for your promises. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for everything. In Jesus' name.